Well, it's lovely to be with you again. It's a great pleasure to come and to join you and to worship with you, to meet with you. I know Caroline and I would want to uh, extend our best wishes and our thanks to you all for, for inviting us. I know you didn't, your pastor did, but he speaks on your behalf, so blame him. Uh, but it's our great pleasure to be with you. And I know that the church in Aylesbury, where we meet, would want to extend their love and their best wishes to you. You seem to have grown. I don't know whether it's just me, but looking out, I can see more of you. Well done. The Lord is blessing you. It's good to see it. Praise the Lord. It's very encouraging. Well, uh, before we turn to the Word, let's pray. Well, Father, we do want to ask you to open our eyes and our ears to prepare our hearts. Uh, Lord, enable us to listen to you, to be receptive to you. And Father, you know, if you're wanting to say something to us just to store away for the future, Lord, we'd ask you that you'd even give us a good memory. Father, we do want to say we have very poor memories. We quickly forget but Lord, if you want to just plant something in our hearts for something which lies ahead, we would ask you to, to sow, sow it in our hearts that when it is appropriate, it is available to us. Amen. Amen. So turn with me, if you would, to 1 Samuel chapter 19. Well, I'm sure you are all aware that Israel is a very hot land and that in these hot lands of the Middle East, water is a vital commodity. Where there is water, there is life. Uh, and I remember um, driving across, this is many years ago, we're back in 1981, driving across, I suppose, the Judean wilderness, and we were in a coach, Caroline and I were with a tour, and it was pretty barren, really. There was not much growing, and suddenly ahead of us was this wonderful burst of life, and so many things growing, and you could see it as the coach drove. We came closer, and there was all this life bursting forth, and of course, what we'd come to was a well, and a kibbutz that was located where there was a well. And where there was a well, there was water. Well, what we quite often find in the Word of God is where there is a well, there is an important principle of life. So when you come across a, a well in the Word of God, it nearly always has something to do with a life, a principle of life that God wishes to emphasize to us. And very often the name of the well has something to do with the principle which God is bringing forth. So, I trust you've all found 1 Samuel 19 while I've been wittering on. Um, and I'm going to start reading at, uh, I think, verse 8. Let's just pick up the story at verse 8. There was war again. And David went out and fought with the Philistines and defeated them with great slaughter, so they fled before him. Now there was an evil spirit from the Lord on Saul as he was sitting in his house with his spear in his hand, 
and David was playing the harp with his hand. Saul tried to pin David to the wall with the spear, but he slipped away out of Saul's presence so that he struck the spear into the wall, and David fled and escaped that night. Then Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him in order to put him to death in the morning. But Michelle, David's wife, told him, saying, If you do not save your life tonight, tomorrow you will be put to death. So Michel took the household idol and laid it... Oh, sorry. So Michel let David down through the window. Sorry, we're in verse 12. David let David down through the window. And he went out and fled and escaped. And Michel took the household idol and laid it on the bed and put a quilt of goat's hair on its head and covered it with clothes. Then Saul sent messengers to David and she said, He is sick. Then Saul sent messages to see David, saying, Bring him up to me on his bed, that I may put him to death. When the messengers entered, behold, the household idol was on the bed with the quilts of goat's hair on its head. So Saul said to Mishael, Why have you deceived me like this? And let my enemy go, so that he has escaped. And Mishael said to Saul, He said to me, Let me go. Why should I put you to death? Now David fled and escaped, and came to Samuel at Ramah. And he told him all that Sam Saul had done to him. And Samuel went and stayed in Naoth. And Saul said, Behold, David is at Naoth in Ramah. Then Saul sent messengers to take David, but when they saw the company of the prophets prophesying, with Samuel standing and presiding over them, the Spirit of God came on the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. When it was told to Saul, he sent other messages, and they also prophesied. So Saul sent messengers again a third time, and they also prophesied. Then he himself went to Ramah, and came as far as the large well, which is in Zeku. And he asked and said, where are Samuel and David? And someone said, Behold, they are at Naoth in Ramah. He proceeded there to Naoth in Ramah, and the Spirit of God came on him also, so that he went along prophesying continually until he came to Naoth in Ramah. He also stripped off his clothes, and he too prophesied before Samuel and lay down naked all that day and all that night. Therefore they say, is Saul also among the prophets? Then David fled from Daath in Ramah and came and said to Jonathan, what have I done? What is my iniquity? And what is my sin before your father that he is seeking my life? Really momentous events. If you can imagine living through this period, it was a, a really traumatic time for them. It was traumatic for David, as there were attempts on his life. It was traumatic for Saul, as he was, in a sense, losing his mind, really. And it was certainly traumatic if you lived around these two men. Imagine 
being in Saul's court through this period. It's a tremendously traumatic event, really. Well, in a moment we'll come and look at uh, these events in more detail. What I want to do to begin with is to give you the background leading up to this particular time, and then um, we'll look at the time in more detail. So we'll look at the passage in more detail in a minute. In fact, these events are absolutely relationship between David and Saul, because these events mark the point at which David separates from Saul. This is the point at ta- in time at which David makes a decision that he can no longer be around Saul. So it's good to see what has led up to that particular position. Well, really, I want to start by just taking you back to 1 Samuel 15, verse 26, where what happens is that basically the kingdom is taken away from Saul. Saul is the king, and he effectively loses the kingdom. And this is what is said. So 1 Samuel, chapter 15, verse 26. Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. As Samuel turned to go, Saul seized the edge of his robe and tore it. So Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today, and it is given it to your neighbor who is better than you. Well, it's a very sad day for Saul, and in a sense you might expect that to be the end of Saul's reign. You would expect, when Samuel has said that, that Saul then either dies or disappears or certainly ceases to be king, and somebody else takes over. But actually that isn't what happens. What happens is that Saul remains king for quite a long time, but he gradually loses authority through that time, and he gradually becomes a more and more disturbed man through that time. Actually, what we're seeing is that God is giving Saul the opportunity to repent. Really, the reason things don't finish for Saul at this point is God is extending him an opportunity to to repent personally of what he's done, even if he loses the kingdom. There's no suggestion that the kingdom will be restored to Saul if he repents, but God is giving him the opportunity to get right over the wrong that he's done. And so God allows this period to go on. And, And God, in his mercy to Saul, does that, and of course that means that everybody else has to live with the difficulty of that ongoing situation. God's mercy to one can be quite difficult for others, quite often difficult for us to comprehend that, that actually the difficult situation we're going through is because God is being merciful to somebody else. It's not so easy. So, what do we then read? Well, 1 Samuel 16, verse 13. Samuel took a horn of oil and anointed him, that's David, in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily on David from that day forward. And Samuel arose and went to Ramah. So what has happened is that David has now been anointed king. But he's king in waiting. That's 
very difficult, isn't it? You know, you've been anointed king, and yet you're not king yet. Difficult for David, difficult transition. Life gets even more difficult. Just read the next verse. The Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord terrorized him. And really, it's, it's this evil spirit which the Lord has sent on Saul, which is effectively driving Saul to try and kill off David before his kingdom comes into being. Really, what we're seeing is an attempt of the enemy to eradicate David's kingdom before it, before it even starts, really, because of all that will be fulfilled through David, of course. I mean, the enemy knows full well what is being established when David becomes king, and therefore we see all of these attempts to kill him. And it comes really via this evil spirit which grips Saul. But it is an evil spirit from the Lord. Again, it is there because God wants to bring Saul to a position of repentance. Well, what happens then? So then let's read on a little bit further in 1 Samuel 16. Uh, David is now visiting Saul's court. So we're now we're beginning to see David learning something of what it is to be a king. He's working occasionally in Saul's court as a musician, and he's also a warrior. So Saul said to his servants, this is verse 17, Saul said to his servants, provide for me now a man who can play well and bring him to me. Then one of the young men said, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite, who is a skillful musician, a mighty man of valor, a warrior, prudent in speech and a handsome man, and the Lord is with him. And then if we read on to verse 21, it says, David came to Saul and attended him. And Saul loved him greatly, and he became his armor bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Now, David, let him stand before me, for he has found favor in my sight. So David is now learning something of kingship and ministering to Saul. He's a musician. When Saul is afflicted by this evil spirit, David plays and he's calmed. Uh, and often music has that effect. The right sort of music can have a calming effect on those who are afflicted. So let's turn on to 1 Samuel 18, verse 5, see how events progress. What is happening is that David is prospering and Saul is declining. So 1 Samuel 18, verse 5. So David went out whenever Saul sent him, and he prospered. And Saul set him over the men of war. And it was pleasing in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. It happened as they were coming when David returned from killing the Philistines that a woman came out from all the cities, or that the women came out from all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy, and with musical instruments. And the women sang as they played. And they said, Saul has killed his thousands, and David his ten thousands. Then Saul became very angry, for this saying displeased him, and he said, They have ascribed to David 
ten thousands, but to me they've only ascribed thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? Saul looked at David with suspicion from that day on. Jealousy. Saul is beginning to be afflicted by jealousy. I think it's very interesting to see that the women could see what was going on. Actually, these women who sang this song, and it was a pretty silly song to sing, wasn't it? It was undiplomatic at best. You know, it wasn't the most sensible song. But what we can see is that actually these women who were a considerable distance, they'd probably never spoken to Saul or David personally, they're a distance away from the situation, and that distance away from the situation has enabled them to see what is happening. And quite often, if you are removed from a situation at some distance, you can see it much more clearly than the people who are actually involved. And the first people to be able to see this situation of this transfer of kingship is these women who sing this song. And they are foolish enough to draw attention to it. Much better off to have kept their mouths shut. Or just to sing, didn't the boys do well? <laughs> well, so now we've got jealousy coming into this situation. So now Saul is now jealous. So what happens next? Well, 1 Samuel 18, verse 10. It came about on the next day that an evil spirit from God came mightily upon Saul, and he raved in the midst of the house, while David was playing the harp with his hand, as usual, and the spear was in Saul's hand. Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David from escaped from his presence twice. So he not only threw this spear at David once, but David went back for more. And he threw it twice. Extraordinary. You would think, wouldn't you, that if somebody had attempted to kill you, you would probably make yourself a little bit distant from them. But David doesn't. He stays in this situation. I think that's extraordinary. Perhaps he was so close to it that he really didn't see quite what was happening. And he wasn't really aware. Well, the next thing that Saul does is, having failed to kill David himself, personally, he sends David out to fight the Philistines in such a way that he expects the Philistines to kill David. So he attempts to murder David using the Philistines. That's in cha 18, chapter 18, verses 17 through to 30. But David, of course, survives, and that really then takes us on to the beginning of chapter 19. So as we get to chapter 19, we're in a situation where David is still in Saul's court. He's still close to Saul. There have been several attempts on his life, uh, including sending him to war in such a way that he would die, and he survived all of them. So we'll start reading uh, chapter 19 at verse 1. Now Saul told Jonathan, his son, and his servants to put David to death. So what we now have 
is a death warrant. So Saul has now gone another step further and has issued a death warrant against David, saying, look, any of you can kill him and it will please me if you do so. But Jonathan, Saul's son, greatly delighted in David. So Jonathan told David, saying, Saul, my father, is seeking to put you to death. Now, therefore, please be on your guard in the morning and stay in a secret place and hide yourself. I will go out and stand by my father in the field where you are, and I'll speak with my father about you. If I find out anything, I'll tell you. Then Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Do not let the king sin against his servant David, since he has not sinned against you, and since his deeds have been very beneficial to you. For he took his life in his hand and struck the Philistine, and the Lord brought about a great deliverance for Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood by putting David to death without cause? Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan, and Saul vowed, as the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. Then Jonathan called David, and Jonathan told him these words. And Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as formerly. There appears to be a reconciliation, and it would appear that everything is all right. But of course, this is not a straightforward, natural situation. The enemy is present here. And therefore, no natural reconciliation is going to be effective. Well, what do we read? Then there was war again. Now, of course, this is the Philistines coming back to continue to fight. And of course, the Philistines the enemies of God's people come back time and time and time again, and that is what the enemy does. And in the same way, the enemy, which is uh, acting through Saul to try and, and kill David, will come back again. It's the same principle. And so this cessation of hostilities is only ever going to be temporary. Well, David went out and fought the Philistines and defeated them with great slaughter so that they fled before him. Now there was an evil spirit from the Lord on Saul as he was sitting in his house with his spear. You know, one of those things that we can do is when we see this sort of situation and there is an evil spirit present and the enemy is present, it is so tempting to simply come and wage warfare against that evil spirit. But this is an evil spirit from the Lord. It is there because the Lord has put it there. It will remain until the Lord removes it. And, and there is no way this evil spirit can be dealt with until the matter is right, really. So there is no getting rid of this. It must be lived with. Well, one of the ways of living with it was David was playing the harp with his hand. And this playing of music has this effect of soothing this evil spirit. Well, what does the evil spirit do? It says, Saul tried to pin David to the wall with the spear. This, I think, is the third 
attempt on David's life by Saul directly with a spear. So that he struck the spear into the wall and David fled and escaped that night. Then Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him in order to put him to death in the morning. These events were so momentous in David's life, this particular event, that actually he records for us his thoughts and what was going on in his heart when this happened. I mean, that's an extraordinary thing, really, to be given insight into what a man was thinking and what he was going through as these events unfold. It's a remarkable thing, really, to have this view of how this man felt as all of this was transpiring. So keep your finger there in 1 Samuel chapter 19 and turn to Psalm 59. And this is the way Psalm 59, it has a title, and these titles sometimes tell us something really quite useful about the psalm. And the title of Psalm 59 is when Saul sent men and they watched his house in order to kill him. So this is what David was thinking, what his emotional state was on that night when this happened. And we can see how David, what David was going through. And this is what David says, Deliver me from my enemies, O my God. Set me securely on high, away from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from those who do iniquity and save me from men of bloodshed. You see, his eyes are firmly fixed upon the Lord to deliver him in this situation. It is the Lord that David is looking to for deliverance. He knows that deliverance can come no other way but from the Lord. So what does he then say? Well, verse 3, For behold, they have set an ambush for my life. Fierce men launch an attack against me. He tells the Lord what is happening. And he gets before the Lord and he says, Now this is the situation. They have launched an attack against me. They've set an ambush for me. And then he submits himself to the Lord. You see, all of this might have been the result of David's sin. It could be that David had sinned and the Lord is trying to get his attention. So David submits himself to the Lord. And having submitted himself to the Lord, this is what David says. For my trans- not for my transgression, nor for my sin, O Lord. For no guilt of mine they run and set themselves against me. You see, David knows when he submits himself to God that there is nothing in his life which has given grounds for this. And it is because David has come to the Lord and said, is there anything in my life which has given grounds that he's able to say, there isn't anything in my life that has given grounds. This is totally unprovoked. I am innocent and under a death sentence. Arise yourself to help me and see, 
O Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, awake to punish the nations. Do not be gracious to any who are treacherous in iniquity. You see, David knows that he is an innocent victim. I mean, this is just so immensely difficult for David. He is an entirely innocent victim. There have been multiple attempts on his life, and now they are literally coming to get him. And his wife, he has a good wife, who gives him some good advice. Of course, she's Saul's daughter, so she knows her father. And she says, if you do not save your life tonight, tomorrow you'll be put to death. Daddy's like that. Good advice from his wife. You've got to go now. So Michal let David down through a window, and he fled out and escaped. Literally climbs out the bathroom window. And Michal took the household idol and laid it on the bed and put a quilt of goat's hair on its head and covered it with clothes. Then Saul sent messengers to take David, and she said, he is sick. Then Saul sent messengers to see David, saying, bring him to me on his bed so that I may put him to death. Now, actually, somehow we feel it's very un-British to put someone to death who is sick, don't we? We feel that somehow if they could be restored to full health, then we could kill them clearly. <laughs> but killing a man who's sick, it's just not right, is it, somehow? Saul didn't have those squeamishness. Bring him even though he's sick. When the messengers entered, behold, the household idol was on the bed with a quilt of, of goat's hair on its head. So Saul said to Michal, why have you deceived me like this and let my enemy go so that he has escaped? And Michal said to Saul, he said to me, let me go. Why should I put you to death? Now David fled and escaped and came to Samuel in Ramah and told him all that Saul had done. You know, there are times when we need advice from older men and women of God, those who are further on in their walk and the situation we're in is difficult and actually going and finding someone older in the Lord and, and telling them about it is good advice. And actually, that's what David does. He flees to Ramah, where Samuel is, and tells him about it. Ramah means height or high place. It is the place where Samuel's mother and father had lived, um, and it's the place which Samuel made his base. So this is basically where Samuel lives. It's where his parents had lived, and his base is there. And actually, Samuel had a school of prophets at Ramah, so he supervised a school of prophets there as well, who we'll see in a minute. We'll meet those in a moment. Now he, this is so reading again from 1 Samuel 19, now he, that's David, and Samuel went and stayed in Naoth. Now, quite the arrangement here is not entirely clear. Some people believe that Naoth is actually Samuel's house in Ramoth. So they think that it, this is his house. And the name suggests it might be. Uh, the name means habitation or to rest as if at home. So the suggestion is that this is actually the house in which Samuel lived. And it was told Saul. Well, that's no great surprise, really. Saul gets to hear where David is. And it was told Saul, saying, Behold, David is in Naoth in Ramah. 
So now we turn really to the events which occur in Ramah and at this well in Zeku. And these are the pivotal events. Saul sent messengers to take David, but when they saw the company of the prophets prophesying with Samuel standing and providing, presiding over them, the Spirit of God came on the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. Now, I think the best definition or description of prophecy which I have heard is that what we do when we prophesy is we are speaking forth the mind of God. And I think that's the best way to look at it. The prophets are speaking forth the mind of God. Now, here we have uh, a company of prophets prophesying. What were they doing? Well, we don't know. The most likely explanation is that they were probably just speaking forth or singing the praises of God under the direction of Samuel as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. Actually, it doesn't really matter what they're doing. It's not important for the subject, except that they are speaking forth what God has given them to speak. They are under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and bringing forth what God has given them. So the messengers of Saul turn up to take David, and they get as far as the back door. You know, they come through the church doors, if I can put it like that. They get as far as walking to the front, and there's David, and, and they, suddenly they're overcome, and they just sit at the back and join in. And they're overwhelmed, and they can't do anything else. All they can do is to join in this prophetic utterance, this praise of God, speaking forth the mind of God. They can't do anything else. Actually, prophesying does not necessarily indicate somebody's bona fides. Uh, let me just remind you of various people who have spoken forth utterances given them by God. Balaam. Balaam brought forth a tremendous prophecy. Doesn't mean he was a man of God. If, lest you should feel that it does, Balaam's donkey also spoke. And I don't really think we can imagine he was a donkey of God. Might have been God's donkey, but um, not necessarily an indication it's bona fides. If you're not convinced by those, what about Caiaphas? Caiaphas said, it is expedient for you that one man should die for the people than that the whole nation should perish. You know, prophesying does not indicate that this is a man of God. God may just be using a man. They may not be a man of God. So beware. Actually, the Lord Jesus tells us that many will say, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and perform many miracles in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. Be careful when somebody manifests the miraculous. It doesn't mean necessarily that they're a godly man. And these messengers, there's no indication they were necessarily godly men. They were just in a situation where God wanted to demonstrate that actually where David was concerned, he had God's blessing. So what happens is these messengers go back. And so in verse 21, we read, it was told Saul... When it was told Saul, he sent other messengers. So the messengers go back, and it is told Saul, 
when we arrived, the Holy Spirit so came upon us that we prophesied along with all those prophets that are there at Ramah, and we couldn't bring David back to you because we were so overcome with prophecy that we couldn't bring him back. Now, wouldn't that make you stop and think? If you were Saul, wouldn't you stop and think? But Saul doesn't. He sends other messengers, messengers, and they also prophesied. The same thing happens. So Saul sent messengers a third time, and they also prophesied. And I wonder whether they prophesied, Saul, haven't you got the message yet? I'm actually behind David. You know, what the Lord is saying here is that actually David has my blessing. David is the man who has my blessing. That is what God is saying in all of this. And he's saying it loud and clear three times to Saul. And so what does he do? So then it says, then he himself, so this is Saul, went to Ramah. And he came as far as the large well which is in Zeku. Now this well means watchtower. Zeku means watchtower. What is a watchtower? A watchtower is somewhere where you can see what is afar off and also what is close to you. You can see what is close and what is afar off. And really these events spell out so clearly what is close and what is afar off. All of these events, I mean, for us we read it as a, at a long distance, don't we? and we can see it very clearly. For the women in Israel who'd sung that song, they'd been able to see it for some time. They were also a distance off. If you were one of the messengers, just imagine for a moment, you're one of the three lots of messengers who've come and gone and prophesied and so on. What would you tell your wife when you got back? You know, you'd say, do you know the Spirit of the Lord came upon me and they were worshipping the Lord and I wasn't able to go and get him and I wasn't able to come back and we had to leave David there and the, God, the presence of God was so great. I mean, you would have seen it clearly if you were a messenger, but you're a little bit removed still from the situation. You're just living through it. Here is Saul who is intimately tied into these circumstances and it's much more difficult for him and he comes to this watchtower. And the question is, will Saul drink of the well at Zeku? This is a great well. It says that the well of Zeku is a big well. Where is it? Oh, I can't see it now, but it says it's a great well. Actually, there is a lot to be drunk there is a lot for Paul, for Saul to drink here. And you might say, well, how is Saul to drink? How can Saul drink of this well at Zeku? Well, the answer really lies in asking questions. So there are a number of questions which Saul could and should have asked. Let me just suggest some of them to you. When you come to this well, Saul should have asked, why did Samuel say that the kingdom was to be taken away from me? 
he should have asked, why were they singing that David had slain his 10,000 and I'd only slain a 1,000? He should have asked, why is there an evil spirit terrorizing me? Or perhaps if he didn't understand that it was an evil spirit terrorizing him, perhaps he should have asked, why is my behavior so erratic? Why do I have to have a musician to calm me? What is going on that I am behaving in such an erratic manner? Closer to home, why did three lots of messengers come back without bringing David? If Saul had asked these questions and spent time at this well and drunk of this well, he would have had the opportunity for repentance that God wishes to give him. You know, drinking of this well is really about seeing our situation from God's point of view. And when it says this is a watchtower and it enables us to see things afar off, it also means God is watching. And God is watching Saul to see what does he do. And God will judge Saul according to what he does. And he comes to this well and he doesn't drink. What he does is he pauses and he says, where are Samuel and David? You see, what he is really saying is, I am set upon a course of action and nothing will dissuade me from it. My mind is absolutely set. I cannot be dissuaded. I cannot even see what is staring me in the face because it was staring everyone else in the face. And I will proceed despite it. There's a hardness of heart, which is just tragic. This well is there, and if only he had drunk at the well and seen what lay ahead, not only close, but in the distance. I mean, that's another question he could have asked, and it, in a sense, it is the most important question for us ever to ask is what is the final outcome of what I am doing now? If you have no other question to ask, ask that one. What is the final outcome if I continue in this sin which I am doing today, what will its outcome be at the end of my life? And if the Lord shows you, you won't half repent drinking of this well. Well, he goes on. And of course, the Lord is merciful. The Lord doesn't finish with him at that point. He goes on continuing to give opportunity. So we read that uh, Saul goes on, and he went and started to prophesy until he came to Naoth in Ramah. So Saul is now prophesying. So exactly what happened to the messengers has happened to Saul, but actually it goes a bit further with Saul. There in verse 24, it says, he also stripped off his clothes, and he too prophesied before Samuel and lay down naked all that day and all that night. Therefore, they say, is Saul also among the prophets. Now, when it says he lay there naked and he took his clothes off, what it's really saying is he took off his kingly 
garments. He had robes which, which were associated with being a king, and he took them off, and he lay down, and everybody saw him for what he was. That which had been apparent to the uh, women in that song, that which had been apparent to the messengers who had come and prophesied, was now apparent to everybody. As Saul takes off his kingly garments and is totally exposed, everybody can see the situation except Saul. Well, let's just read on into, verse, into chapter 20, verse 1. David fled from Naoth in Ramah and came and said to Jonathan, What have I done? What is my iniquity and what is my sin before your father that he is seeking my life? Here is a change in David. David now sees it clearly. David has been to Ramah. He has seen what happened. He's spent time in these, with these prophets. He knows the situation, and he knows that he must separate from Saul. And so David goes back to Jonathan and says, what is going on? Why is my life threatened? And it is really from this point on that David is separated. For Jonathan, it's different. Jonathan, of course, didn't go. Jonathan has been, I don't know, on his holidays, as far as we can see. He just disappeared, and he reappears at this point. Jonathan hasn't been to Ramah. He didn't know. He's not been there. So Jonathan says, far be it, you shall not die. Behold, my father does nothing great or small without disclosing it to me. I mean, Jonathan hadn't been there. So he doesn't know. So for Jonathan, things are still ambiguous and unclear. But for David, things are clear. Actually, the events which follow in this chapter are clarification for Jonathan, really. And then we get the separation. So what are the principles? Well, what the principle is this, that God has provided this well of salvation for us at Zeku, where we may see things clearly. If you're prepared to drink of this well of salvation, you may see situations which you are in clearly. And there are three types of situation that we can be in. The first is where we are personally involved and can do nothing about it. That is David. David is personally involved in this situation and he can do nothing about it at all. But he desperately needs to see the situation clearly because he needs to separate from Saul before he loses his life. So David needs to drink at the well. And of course, that is what he does when he went to, goes to see Samuel, really. That's in that school of prophets, he is seeing the thing clearly. The second is where we have to live through a situation but are not personally involved in it. The messengers, those in Saul's court who had to live through this incredibly difficult time but were not involved in it personally, needed to understand that the kingship was being transferred from Saul to David. They needed to see that, although they weren't personally 
involved. Their lives weren't threatened, but they were living through it. Every day they were living with the consequences of it. They needed to understand it. The third type of person here that needs to drink of this well is Saul himself, who needs to see his own heart, who needs to see his own heart because the Lord wants to bring him through to repentance. And much of this difficult situation is God trying to bring Saul through to repentance. But finally, we also need to bear in mind that this is a place where God sees. And God sees whether there has been repentance or not. He sees whether there has been a desire on Saul's part to see what he is like. All the opportunity in the world here, really, to see his own heart. God gives him that opportunity in every way you can imagine to see and to repent, and yet he is so set upon his course of action that he will not see. Shall we pray? Well, Father, we want to come before you and say, Lord, we don't want to be those who become so fixed on a particular idea and a particular course of action and so bound up with our own importance that we cannot see things clearly. Lord, even to the extent of three lots of these messengers coming back, Father, you know how stubborn our hearts can be. And Lord, we want to ask you that you would give us soft hearts enable us to drink of this well when we need to. And Lord, we do want to ask for any that are going through difficult circumstances that are not of their own fault and they're suffering, Lord, we want to ask that you would open up this well so that there might be a clarity for them. Lord, and those of us that are living through things that somehow we're having to work our way around and try and avoid the, the issues and so on. Father, we want to ask you for us that you would also enable us to drink of that well and see and understand what you're doing. Father, we want to thank you that you do delight, really, to disclose to your servants what you're about. And Father, we want to ask you for the capacity to drink from this well. Amen.